0: I'm going to read the whole entire chapter, and so in preparation for that, um, I'm actually going to give a little bit of a preface um, before we read it, so that we can read it well and with good hearing. First, I'd like to introduce the subject, God's favor. Um, Preachers like to preach about God's favor because people like to hear about it, don't you? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I like hearing about God's favor. Um, But unfortunately, uh, there tends to be a great emphasis about preaching about the positive aspects of God's favor and not much given to us that incorporates how negative things um, incorporate into God's favor as it comes to us. And one of the things I love about the book of Ruth is it is so rich in showing us how God relates to us deeply and intimately in multiple kinds of circumstances. We're used to um, Seeing and understanding God's favor when things are good But what about when things are not good? And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today in the book of Ruth chapter 2 I was actually here three years ago now and preached on Ruth chapter 1 and and uh, while that's long enough to, to revisit it, I I felt I probably shouldn't touch that just in case it rings too many bells with you. I decided to skip ahead to chapter 2 and just give a brief reflection of what happened in chapter 1. Chapter 1, we find that this book is set at the time of the judges. And in the time of the judges, people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And they went through cycles where they would follow after God while there was a strong leader (coughs) teaching them to follow after God. But then when that leader passed on, they would begin to do what is right in their own eyes, and they would go after other gods and go their own way. And God, in his covenant with his people, had promised that if they obey him, blessings would result, and if they ran away from him and they disobeyed him, curses would result. And one of the curses is a famine. He said, if you obey me, there will be no famine, but if you disobey me, a famine would come. And so the book of Ruth begins showing us that we're in that time period where God related to his people in that way. If you obey me, blessings. If you disobey me, curses. And what do we see when the book opens? We see a family in the midst of a famine. And God was using that famine to cause pressure into their lives, to cause people to make a choice. Make a a choice that reveals where their heart's loyalty truly lies. Is it with God or is it with something else? You know, sometimes you don't realize what condition your heart is really in until an event happens and then you see what you did. And that's exactly why God brought this famine, to help people see where their heart truly is. And so the book of Ruth begins with a family responding to this pressure in their life, this famine. And they run away from God. They go far from him. If you look at it on a map, they're going the opposite direction from the temple of God. They're going south instead of north. And then they hide on the other side of a large body of water from God as if they could hide from God. But God's curses followed them even into a foreign land, because God is God of the whole earth, is he not? You can't run from him. And so only two of people of this family turned back towards God, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi, the one who ran from God, and Ruth, the Moabite, who learned about God from being wed into this godly family. Or at least the family that knew about God. And so they returned. They returned to follow after God, seeking God's favor, recognizing that going their own way only leads to death. And in defeat, Naomi returns with Ruth in tow back to the land of God to follow after him once again. And it's at this point where Naomi turns towards God that we begin to see God's favor shining down on Naomi and Ruth. We see that mentioned briefly, even in chapter one, as they begin to turn back, it says at the end in verse 22, it says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At that time, the safety net for those people was not the social security system. They didn't have that in place. Instead, they allowed widows to glean from the fields what was left behind when the reapers went through and what the reapers left in the corners as they rounded the corners instead of harvesting every bit of it. That was the design of taking care of the poor in that time. And these people who would be relying on that system find themselves arriving just in time to take full advantage of it. And so we begin to see God's favor turning towards them as they turn towards God. And so in chapter 2, we really see the dark clouds begin to break and rays of sunshine begin to peek through on those who seek to follow after God. Here we see the favor of God shining brightly. And these two poor women will find out that God is able and willing to give them All that they need. In fact, he will give them more than what they would even dare to ask for. This part of the story teaches us important truths about God's favor that we must constantly remind ourselves even today, especially during the dark times. And so as we read Ruth chapter 2, I want you to be seeing and looking for and listening for the grace of God flooding down on Ruth and Naomi as they've turned their hearts back towards God. Begin reading the book of Ruth, chapter two in verse one here. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth the Moabite, And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who were in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servants who was in charge of the reaper answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. whom I work with today, is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law it is good my daughter that you go out with his young woman lest in another field you be assaulted so she kept close to the young women of Boaz gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law God's favor sprinkled all throughout this chapter I want to point out four encouraging truths for us about God's favor that give God's people hope throughout all time. The first thing that I noticed when observing this passage about God's favor is that God's favor is meticulously planned. God's favor is meticulously planned. This is seen in Ruth's choice to glean in a particular field, which would be very advantageous to them in the near future. In verse 3, it says, she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You know, Ruth didn't strategically pick out where she should go. She just saw an opportunity before her that she could work, and she just got after it, and she let God handle the rest. And so she picked, she just got after it, and God did, he took care of her. He took care of the rest. He brought her to a place that was very advantageous to her. The scriptures let us know that God had far more planned than what Ruth was even aware of. Ruth ended up in the field of Boaz. Boaz would be a critical part of God's plan to shine His favor on these two ladies, and which I will tell you more about here in a moment. But God, I want you to notice here and now, God particularly planned for Ruth to end up in Boaz's field. And that was God's grace shining down on her, even in something that she did not intend, something that was not of her own volition. She simply obeyed what she knew God had given her, and God took care of her and made his grace shine down upon her. You know, I'm sure if we were able to survey this room and share stories, we would have very many stories together that show that God is still in the business of shining his favor down on us in very particular ways. I'll tell you one of my own stories since I have four. (laughs) Um, I was uh, running a window cleaning business for, I wound up running it for 10 years. But um, towards the end of those 10 years, God had called me to go to seminary. And we were at a place where we had to sell our house sell off all of our extra possessions, and we had to live somewhere for three months, and we had four children at the time, four young children. And I don't know if you know this, but if you try to look for a place to live for three months with four kids in tow, uh, the options are very few. In fact, we couldn't find hardly anything. Um, We were in a kind of an odd spot. God was gracious to allow us to sell our house and got us our full asking price in it sold within a week. That was wonderful. The problem was that left us with nowhere to live. (laughs) And so we knew God wanted us to move forward, but we weren't sure how this was going to work out. And so we were going to church. At the time, we were going to Oakland Hills Community Church with Ralph Reban and OPC Church in Farmington Hills. And we were driving from Waterford down to Farmington Hills, and we were about 10 minutes away from the church and a 40 minute journey. And we get a call from someone at the church saying, hey, the fire alarm system in the church building has gone off and we can't use the building until this gets resolved. Uh, Morning church is canceled. Okay, so we're driving, we're like, well, you know, we used to attend a church in Livonia, which is just a little bit further, you know, another five to 10 minutes from where we were heading anyway. And we're getting ready to leave town and, you know, move away for three or four years out of state. Why don't we go to that church where we used to attend and see if there's any friends there that we can say goodbye to and and fellowship with one last time? And so we go to this church in Livonia, and we attend the service. And at the end of the service, we just hung out like we normally do and enjoy fellowship with God's people until the very end. And and the very last person we talked to uh, was— of friends uh an old friend of ours and this was going to be their last sunday at that church as god was moving them to another place and as we were talking to them they asked what we were up to we told them our story what we were doing and that we were praying for god's provision for a place to live and they said you know what we actually have a condo that i inherited and we have a missionary renting it right now and his lease is coming up and they're moving out and we would be so happy to have you take their place. And so God provided a place for us, meticulously planned. Can you believe it? I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? (laughs) How does this happen? And so God provided for us. God's grace, God's favor is meticulously planned. Whether I knew it or not, all that was set up from eternity past, and God was just letting me follow him and trust him through all of that. And we could share story upon story, I'm sure, if we took time here today. But for the sake of time, I think we've made our points, and we'll move on. God's obvious, meticulous planning is clear to us in happy moments, right? And that encourages us to trust God. And we need that because there's coming times which are not so easy, which are not fun. And we need to be able to trust that God is planning meticulously for our good even through those difficult times. Even through those difficult times. You know, in the case of Ruth's life, What came before this happy moment of realizing she's got God's favor shining down upon her and they're going to be well taken care of. Before that came, there was a time that was very dark and very long. Ruth had her husband and her father-in-law died prematurely, leaving her and her mother-in-law without someone who can protect and provide for them in a male-dominated society. They were in a bad spot as widows. That was not happy times. We also see that she was living the life of a poor widow in the land of a people who were not her people, not ideal. And yet God was using those very things to bring her to a place of great joy and great provision. And we need to see God's favor in the good times to get us through those difficult times because they do come. They will come. Jesus promised them to us. He said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When the times are good, note that. See God's grace in your life and remember that because there are times that come that are not great. In fact, they're very dark and they can be very long and difficult. And we need to know that God's grace is coming to us and is meticulously planned to give us all that we need. And We need to believe that during the more difficult times. One of the most famous book, uh, verses in the Bible is Romans eight twenty eight. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That's a really cool verse. God's working all things. But you know, in that all is a mixture of both good and bad, as far as from our perspective. As far as what we experience. And it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God's favor is meticulously planned to come to us according to God's schedule. It takes faith to believe that when we are going through those difficult times. But it is true. It is what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. And it is shining brightly here in this book of Ruth. I like what another pastor said. He said, even in the bitter experiences of life, God is plotting for our glory. Even in the bitter experiences of life, God is plotting for our glory. My friends, God's favor is meticulously planned. And it comes to us through the good times and even through the bad. The second truth about God's favor is that God's favor is channeled through Mr. Wright. God's favor is channeled through Mr. Wright. Boaz is presented as the solution for Naomi and Ruth's problem. We see that in verse 1 where it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. What are Naomi and Ruth's problems? Well, they needed family support. They needed family support. Widows lived in a male-dominated society in this period, and husbands were a huge deal. It was really important because husbands provided safety and support. And the lady, these ladies had no one to help with either of those things. They also needed future hope. They are widows that don't have any children. There's no future for them and their family. When they die, it's over for them. At this time, widows would depend on sons who would rise up and take care of them and inherit the property and provide for them in their older age. These ladies were without that. They were in a bad spot. So, so how was Boaz, a relative of Naomi's husband, supposed to be the solution to their problem? Well, it actually goes back to another social safety net that they had in place at that time. One that's very different from the ways we take care of people today. Back in those times, there was a social safety net known as the Kinsman Redeemer. And how this would work is that the closest relative of a deceased husband would marry the widow and provide them that needed family support and protection, and then they would raise up a son, and that firstborn son would inherit the property of the deceased person, restoring their name in the land, and they would inherit that property. And that's how they would provide for them future hope. So you can kind of see how Boaz actually does fit the bill as somebody who is in a right position who can help them. In fact, Boaz being a family member was in a legal position to help. Um, he was a relative. He was a close relative of Elimelech, That put him in the right place legally to help Naomi with this kinsman redeemer plan here. But just because he is in the right position legally doesn't mean he's the right man for the job. Uh, The laws of the land allow people to refuse to fulfill the kinsman-redeemer law. And there was good reason for that, because, hey, somebody who's the closest relative might not be able to do the job. They might not be in a position where they can help. Or maybe they don't have a good heart, and they're not willing to help. And you don't want to put a widow in a situation with somebody who doesn't want to help them. That's not good for either party. And so the law allows people to refuse. So even though Boaz is in the right legal position, is he also the right person for the job? Well, we've learned from this passage that yes, Boaz was able and he was also willing to help be their kinsman redeemer and help alleviate their suffering. We see this in how Boaz is introduced. He's introduced as a worthy man. Worthy man. And that word, if you look it up, has to do with one's virtue and one's capability. Virtue and capability, both. Which is what is needed for someone to fill this role. And so, this is a word used for people who are heroes, for people who have power and strength and wealth, and even people who are of the upper class. That's what is in this word worthy that is being spoken of, of Boaz. He's a man of means. He is able to provide what is needed. And he showed this to Ruth and through Ruth to Naomi, by providing abundantly for Ruth as she worked in his fields. He provided her the protection in her field. Do you recall when he said, young men, don't touch her, protect her? He provided that protection that she needed because she was vulnerable. He lavished food upon her, providing for her physical needs. He made sure that she could have all that she could handle, He was a man of means. He was able, he was also a man of virtue in that he was willing to provide. It was a sacrifice to provide for these people. And he showed his willingness to go above and beyond to meet meet these people's needs. We see this in verse 14 where it says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip of your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the Reapers and passed to her roast and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Boaz was giving her a sign. I'm able and I'm willing to give you everything you need. Now that's great for Ruth and Naomi, right? <laughs> but what does that mean? teach us about God's favor for us today. Well, Boaz is a foreshadow of how God's favor comes to us through Mr. Right, named Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Mr. Right for God's people, ultimately, and for all times. And in the Bible, you'll see people who act in significant ways that show us how God will save his people through Jesus. Boaz is a type, a shadow, giving us a glimpse of how God is going to care for his people through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. All of this that we see through Boaz is really pointing us to how things are going to work between us and Jesus. And you know, when you compare Boaz and Jesus... It's no wonder that in that we see lots of similarities. As Boaz is Ruth's kinsman, putting him in a legal position to help, we see Jesus is humanity's kinsman redeemer. In that Jesus, the eternal son of God, became human so that he would legally be in a place to redeem those who looked to him as their lord and savior. He became close to us. He became related to us so that he could fill this role of redeeming his people, taking care of them when they lacked. We see this uh, expressed in Romans chapter 5 when it says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign In life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We see the scripture pitting these two people. Who do you want to be your representative? Do you want to be represented by Adam, which we all are by default? Or do you want to put yourself under the care of the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is willing and able to redeem all of God's people? Because just like as Boaz is a worthy man, Jesus is also the ultimate worthy man. He is able to meet all of the deepest needs of humanity. The greatest need of all humanity is to be saved from sin and eternal death, separation from God. And Jesus provides just that. He provides the forgiveness of our sin that separates us from a righteous, holy God. And there are... Is no sin greater than the power of Jesus' forgiveness. There is no sin that is greater than the power of Jesus' forgiveness. He is able. He is able. He is worthy to redeem us from any sin that we, that we bring upon us. But Jesus is also willing. He is willing to meet our needs. Just because he's able doesn't mean that he will. But thank God he did. Thank God he did. He showed his love to us. And that he willingly came to this world. He humbled himself. He lived in this dirty, stinky, fallen world. Leaving the beauty, the wonder, and the glory of heaven to redeem you and me. He was willing willing to do that and we have this promise that we find in first john chapter one verse nine it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness what a blessing that we have because jesus was willing to come be one of us and redeem you and me and then was willing Offer that to any, anyone who was willing to seek him. Come, find all that you need in Jesus Christ. God has planned for his favor to come to us through Mr. Wright, the great Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all of the Bible points to that. All the way from Genesis, we see the promise of a Messiah a redeemer, someone who would take care of the evil one who's brought sin into this world. And all throughout Scripture, we see it pointing towards God's Messiah, God's Messiah, God's Messiah, who came, as the Scripture says, at the right time, according to God's meticulous plan. And throughout our lives, we experience that grace in God's time. We experience his favor coming to us in his time. There was a time when I did not know God's Messiah the way uh, that I do now in a saving relationship. But there came a time when I did. And now I do. All of that was part of God's timing. All that's part of God's timing. And I pray that you will experience that time in your life as well if you have not already. God's favor coming down to us to give us the greatest gift of all the forgiveness of our sins and life eternal with him is meticulously planned that comes to us through mr. Wright. now ruth is observing all this favor coming to her and she hasn't yet connected all the dots she doesn't seem to be fully aware of who boaz is or how this kinsman redeemer thing works she seems to be not clued in at the beginning when Boaz is shining his favor down on her. All she knows is this guy is being really nice to me, and I don't deserve it because I'm a stranger, and I'm part of a people that is historically hostile to God. That's where she came from. She and she knows this, and she's undeserving. Well, this is the third thing that I see about God's favor. It reaches the undeserving. It reaches the undeserving. At the time of the book of Ruth, again, God had shown his special favor to a nation of people, the nation of Israel. And God judged the nations by how they related to that nation, Israel, as God's people. And Moab, that country, was one of the countries that was judged for being hostile to God's people. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, where it says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. When you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam to curse you. They hired a prophet of God to curse God's people and showed hostility to them. (laughs) And Ruth, being a Moabite, felt the guilt of being associated with those people and being associated with that plot against God's people. So this is why Ruth is so astonished at the grace She received as an undeserving Moabite in the land of Israel. So in verse 10, it says, She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Do you hear her heart? She knows she's unworthy. Well, the reason she found grace is found in verses 11 and 12, which says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Great sacrifice. She showed her true heart by making great sacrifice to move towards God. And it says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, she was coming to the right place. She was coming to God for her protector. She was coming to God for her sustainer, just like like a mother hen receives the little chicks. The mother head provides for all their little chicks, cares for them, makes sure they have food to eat, makes sure she protects them under her wings. And just as Ruth sought the favor and protection and grace from God, he did not leave her out. Though she was undeserving, though she was not from his fold, she wel- God welcomed her in too. Because God welcomes all who are willing To come to him God welcomes even the most Undeserving amongst us You know Some people uh, know How undeserving they truly are When they really dig into What the law really requires of them Um, Like we didn't go into uh, It this morning but when it says Thou shalt not murder um, Jesus let us know that that law goes beyond just our physical actions. It also goes to our heart's intent. Um, Jesus said if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. When you fully see how broken you are, when you fully recognize how unworthy you are of God's favor, It really helps you see how beautiful and amazing God's favor really is. Jesus is willing to meet all our needs for anyone who comes to him. While Moab was hostile to Israel as as Ruth's people group, Ruth as an individual was not. Ruth as an individual was not. And she was received because she decided to follow after God and make her allegiance with God and with his people. And God will welcome anyone who is willing to do like Ruth did. To come to God, be with his people, and follow after him. God welcomes everyone, even the worst of sinners. As a moment, Ruth was undeserving, God's favor reaches the undeserving I think that point is fairly clear here. I also want to show us this. God's favor gives hope for the future. God's favor gives hope for the future. Ruth and Naomi not only needed food for today, but they also needed a future family to give hope for tomorrow. (laughs) And so Naomi, she was familiar with how things were supposed to go. She was familiar with who's who. She grew up in this country. She grew up in this town. And so when, when Ruth comes back and tells her what had happened, she recognized the signs of hope given by Boaz to Ruth. The signs of his grace and his mercy that he gave to Ruth. And so in verse 19, you see the surprise in, uh, in Naomi's voice. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. (laughs) Ruth returned from her first day with about six gallons of barley. Um, And that's about half a month's wages in those days. So imagine you send, you know, your helper to go work and they come home with like $2,500 in their pocket from their first day of work. You'd probably be asking, where did that come from? That's not normal. You don't normally make that much in a day. Well, she did. And, of course, that was a sign, wasn't it? It was, it was intentionally um, big and large, and, and uh, it was supposed to get Naomi's attention. And so Boaz sent this signal, sent this sign to Naomi. Hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And Naomi recognized this and recognized that God was at work to provide them with hope for the future. And she answers with these words, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, what is she talking about that? The living or the dead? She's talking about her dead husband and her dead son. She's talking about the lost legacy. She sees what she's pointing to is in the kinsman redeemer, they're supposed to raise up a son to inherit the property of the deceased and continue on the line for that family. That's that future hope element that they need. And so Naomi recognizes that. That Boaz is signaling to her, I'm going to take care of you, the living. And I'm also going to take care of the dead that legacy, that future hope for you and your family. I'm going to provide all of it, the whole package. So God brought great favor to this family, and they and she recognized it. You know, they found, they you only know, found hope in having her temporal future be bright. Um, but, you know, that only lasted for a time. That was like 3,000 years ago now. And all that's done, you know. Is that all that God had in store for her was a temporal blessing to give her temporal hope? No. Again, that's just a shadow. That's just pointing forward to something far greater, far greater to the greatest hope that we have, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that he will provide for us a future hope. Even though we die, we will live. God has promised that we will see a resurrection of our bodies. We will be reunited. Our spirit and our body will be reunited, and we will be the inheritors of this world, this world that will be cleansed from the curse of sin and all that offends God. One day, we look forward to that day that Jesus promises us. Well, we'll experience a world where there is no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more goodbyes. That's the hope we need. That's the hope our kinsman redeemer offers us, future hope. There is more that God gives us than just a happy life in this short time we are on this world. And that's why we can endure through the hard times. Because we know there's something more. There's future hope. And just as sure as Jesus rose from the grave, so all of us have that hope, that we will follow after him in it being rose from the dead as well and inherit that world, inherit that future eternal life with God. That's the hope I need get through this life. Because this life is not easy, is it? I'll share with you that I'm once again in a place of turmoil with where I should live. (laughs) Just as God took care of me in the past, I know he's going to take care of me in the future, but I don't know how that's going to work out right now. Um, Currently, I'm living in a outbuilding on my in-laws property that we converted into a temporary home. And I just got news um, a couple days ago that I need to move out by the end of the month um, to make way for a caretaker for my uh, father-in-law who has some mental or some some physical illness. And uh, where you know God will take care of us because his favor towards us is meticulously planned and He's he's moving us in places. What that will look like, I don't know. But I know he's taken care of me in miraculous ways in the past, and that gives me hope for the future. And I know he's not just taking care of me and showing favor towards me to get me through this temporal life, but he's also leading us towards eternal glory. I know all things, whether they turn out good for me here in this world or not, are working towards my eternal good end. God will get me to final glory. And I am so glad to know that. And his favor shines down on us throughout our whole lives in various different ways. And when you're looking for it, sometimes you can see it. And when you can't see it, God tells us, No, his favor is always with us. He is plotting for our glory even in the worst of times as we experience them. That is the promise. That is the hope that we see. And we see it beautifully here in Ruth, this book, where these people went through an awful experience. But yet God had planned his favor to come down and shine brightly. And now at the end of chapter 2, all you can see is the glowing hope from Naomi and and Ruth as they see the future is once again bright. Praise God for those who follow after him. We know we are eternally headed towards a bright future. And I need to know that. I need to know that. Let us pray and thank God for this wonderful, encouraging message. Lord, you are so good to us. You show favor to us, though we are undeserving, and you even took care to meticulously plan for our eternal glory. You give us this future hope, all of this coming through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is able and willing to save us from our sin. Lord, help us to see your goodness in the good times and help us to remember that as we go through the dark times. Help us to seek shelter under your wings always. And Lord, reward us with more of you. We ask this according to your precious name. Amen.